We live in a culture that is fascinated and entertained by the notion of the dead rising. Zombies, walkers, the undead, these have never been more popular or profitable. Some of the highest rated television shows of all time focus on dead bodies coming back to life. One example would be AMC's hit show, The Walking Dead, which drew more than 15 million regular viewers. That's a larger audience than the World Series or NBA Finals. Doesn't stop there. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that it's now possible to earn a PhD in zombie studies. A PhD in zombies. I want to make a striking comparison. To our modern mind, the dead rising is intriguing, even entertaining. However, in the first century world, the idea of a bodily resurrection was unheard of in Roman circles. Romans of the first century viewed resurrection as gross, even disgusting. So here's a key point. The early church could not have picked a more difficult place to start than proclaiming their savior had died and risen from the dead bodily. The only reason they proclaimed it and they died preaching about it was because the bodily resurrection actually happened. Let's turn to the body of proof, if you will, the evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The claim that Jesus was truly resurrected assumed a heavy burden of proof. What persuaded Jesus' followers to speak of resurrection was their conviction that Jesus had died, had been buried in a known place, and had exited that place. These factors, in combination with the appearances, convinced his followers that Jesus was indeed the bodily resurrected Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seminal issue for the church today, just as it was that first Easter morning in the first century. The resurrection is the bottom line. If the resurrection did not happen, Christianity is a waste of time. That's why Bible studies like this one are so important. If I were a critic of Christianity, the most difficult problem would be coming up with an adequate reason for why there were any Christians in the first place. I mean, think about it for a moment. Their founder was a crucified criminal. Crucifixion, of course, considered empire-wide to be the most heinous and shameful way to die. We learn in the Gospels that Jesus' followers had even given up hope. Do you remember that passage? I think of Luke chapter 24, verse 21, on the road to Emmaus. Jesus' followers said in the past tense, we had hoped he was the one with a total note of defeat. And on top of that, proclaiming that his body was resurrected. The early Christian movement should have died, but it didn't. Why? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
I have great news for you today. Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he lives, and there are great evidences for that belief. No greater words were ever spoken than when Jesus Christ said in John 14, 19, because I live, you will live also. And news this good should influence every aspect of our faith and every aspect of our life right now. The New Testament, of course, was originally written in Greek, and there are around 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament. Paul, of course, writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books, and he contributes 32,407 words to the New Testament, a significant contribution. But think about it for a moment. Do you remember what Paul said was the single most important thing in all of his writings? In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that the issue of Jesus' bodily resurrection was a matter of first importance. First, it had first place. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was the salient issue of the faith. The early Christian movement impacted every community because it was resurrection-centric, which leads to our first principle. Number one, we must recover a resurrection-centric faith. How many sermons have you heard in the last year on the subject of the bodily resurrection of Jesus? When I speak in churches, the most frequent answer I receive is A, they can't remember the last time they heard a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus, or B, outside of an occasional Easter Sunday morning or funeral message, the resurrection is rarely referenced. We have the smartest church members of all time sitting in our pews. We have the most educated followers of Jesus, and yet there is still a general ignorance on the matter of why we believe the resurrection of Jesus is a fact from history. I regularly teach master's students, Christianity majors, and many of them get that deer in the headlights look with me when I ask them for the evidential basis for why they believe a dead man came back to life 2,000 years ago. So as followers of Jesus, we have to prepare ourselves to explain that Jesus' resurrection is not a myth, a legend, a fairy tale, but rather it is in fact a datum of historical fact. One newspaper recently headlined, Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl of church attendance. Do you know more people attend church on Easter Sunday than even watch the Super Bowl? And yet so few Christians are able to give a compelling answer for why they know Jesus rose from the grave. So what is the best evidence? Most Christians have never gone deeper than their elementary Sunday school learning when it comes to the principal points of the faith. Is the resurrection true just because the Bible tells me so? Belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus was the driving force behind the growth and the expansion of the early church from 120 people in the upper room to a movement that by the time it had reached Greece and Thessalonica, the church had, do you remember what Acts 17.6 says? Turn the world upside down. Every single sermon recorded in the book of Acts discusses the resurrection of Jesus. It was a resurrection-centric faith. Think about the book of Romans, regarded as the most important piece of literature in history, the most significant book ever written. Martin Luther at his personal awakening while reading Romans that led to a reformation throughout the entire church. 
In the opening verses of Romans, Paul gloriously states that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. To the Philippians, Paul said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, Philippians 3.10. Over two dozen times, more than any other promise in the New Testament for the believer, is the promise that we will together be raised with Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Jesus guarantees our future bodily resurrection. They are inseparably linked. Only because of the resurrection could Paul say to the Colossian church, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. So do you possess a resurrection-centric faith? Number two, we need to refresh our minds with the evidence for a resurrection-centric faith. When we study the resurrection of Jesus and our own bodily resurrection, it brings great personal renewal into our spiritual lives. It renews you and it gives you a confidence to face the tribulations and the troubles of life. Refreshing our minds with the evidence brings renewal into our hearts. Unlike any other religion, Christianity put itself to the historical test through explicit interaction with history in the Roman Empire of the first century. Many often miss this point. No other religion comes close to Christianity in that you can test it against history. The evidence is overpowering that the main appeal to Christianity in the first few centuries of the church, the reason the church was so attractive to the Mediterranean world, was its confident attitude towards death and the expectation that all these Christians had of resurrection. From the earliest days, Christians, following in the example of their founder, valued the personal survival of every individual, all life, the elderly, the young, the marginalized, the handicapped, the church believed all were made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. I want to make sure you understand the context. Did you know, according to a recent study, our life expectancy is at an all-time high right now? Life expectancy in the United States averages 79 years of age. Again, that's an all-time high. In the Roman Empire of Jesus' day, life expectancy was quite the opposite. Christianity emerged in the first century world, a world of great suffering and death. Life expectancy in the time of Jesus in the early church averaged just 20 years of age. That's right, 20. In the Roman Empire, it's estimated that on any given day, approximately 25% of the population was ill, injured, dying, or in some way in need of medical attention. Most of the empire was starving to death. In the first century world of Jesus, you didn't get three meals per day. If you were lucky, you had two meals. Infant mortality was as high as 30%. Only 50% of the children lived to their fifth birthday. Only 40% of the population got to age 20. Females was even worse. Their average life expectancy, just 26 years of age, eight years less than males because so many died in childbearing. Romans usually waited eight or nine days to name their children. Why? Well, they might not want that child, especially if it was a female. Exposure of infants was commonplace. No one cared if you killed your baby, especially if it was deformed or had a handicap. Why did this custom change? A resurrected man from Nazareth said, let the children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Consider the effects the brevity of life had on Roman society. 
Romans could expect to die at an age when we today expect to begin our adult lives. Then comes a miracle worker from Galilee. Of him it's reported in Luke 7:22, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Is it any wonder massive crowds flock to hear Jesus of Nazareth? Wow. Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and he is speaking of a new kind of life, a resurrection abundant life. That message was relevant and it was powerful to the first century in ways we can't even imagine today. The earliest Christians came up with a new word for their burial grounds. In the Greek, it's koimeterion. You know it. In English, it transliterates cemetery. This was a descriptive Christian word reflecting an explicit Christian belief in bodily resurrection. This is in stark contrast to the city of Rome, where signs were actually posted instructing people not to dump corpses in public. 1,500 corpses per year in the city of Rome were unclaimed. The poor, slaves, and childless women were buried in mass graves, always to be forgotten. You can see why Christian belief in caring for the body, even in death, attracted so many new followers. Of course, Christianity was illegal until the fourth century, so Christians went underground to build these vast burial chambers that they called the catacombs. Perhaps you, like me, have toured the catacombs in Rome. Did you know nearly a million Christians in Rome were buried together underground in the span of only 150 years? Resurrection was also the driving force behind the origin of Christian art. The Christian catacombs, those cemeteries underground in Rome, became the first Christian art galleries. Inscriptions, symbols like the cross, a dove, a fish, these creative illustrations of Christ as a shepherd, they were incised throughout the catacomb walls. Often the Greek word for fish, ichthus, was used as an acrostic to commemorate resurrection belief. Jesus, Christ, God, Son, Savior. When you think of the great works of Christian art, think of The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, or the creation of Adam by Michelangelo, or the Madonna by Raphael, priceless works. I want you to remember that Christian art originated in burial grounds known by a new term, cemeteries, utterly influenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This week in your personal time in the Bible study, you're gonna study more evidence of how we know the resurrection of Jesus actually happened based on the historical evidence. The resurrection of Jesus is not merely a matter of blind faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are careful to record the many convincing proofs, as Acts 1-3 says, evidencing the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The mission of this Bible study is for you to be in a position to say exactly what Luke said to begin his gospel. After carefully investigating everything from the beginning, that's Luke 1-4, he said that it is possible for you to have a certainty about your Christian faith. Not a once per year gloss over of the resurrection, but a certainty that energizes your entire life. Number three, I must recommit to live the mission of resurrection faith now 
and be resurrection-centric with all the problems and difficulties of my life. We should always pay attention to the word therefore when we study the Bible. It's a great hermeneutical principle. It means everything written before that word was laying the groundwork for an important point, therefore. In 1 Corinthians 15, after 57 magnificent verses proclaiming the fact of the resurrection of Jesus and our personal bodily resurrection, Paul says, beginning at verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says that the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus will make you strong. It will make you immovable, steadfast. You know, we have too many Christians in retreat mode. We need to be strong. God needs some Christians who'll say, God, I'll take that hill for you. Not only does the resurrection make us strong, The scripture says in verse 58, it makes us unshakable. Paul uses that word immovable. No matter what life throws at you, we cannot become discouraged. The resurrection promises us that God is in the business of bringing new beginnings. We serve a God of second chances, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance. Perhaps you're listening to this message and you're in need of a do-over, a second chance, a redo in life. You know, the resurrection proves that God is in the business of great comebacks. You might have lost your job. God can bring you a new beginning. Be strong, be immovable. Perhaps your marriage is in trouble. The resurrection shows us that God loves flawed, ordinary people. Perhaps you've experienced the loss of a loved one or a child. Our family and closest friends who have died as followers of Jesus, the Bible promises are more alive today than they ever were on earth. Thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, Christians are promised that the best is yet to come, and death is only the beginning, not the ending. That's why the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonian Christians who had lost their loved ones, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, yes, we grieve. It's that word ache. We ache thinking about the loved ones we've lost, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Why? Because the resurrection promises we will be reunited. I can be strong, I can be steadfast, I can be immovable, unshakable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that my labor is not in vain. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have to decide together to recommit to live the mission of the resurrection now and be resurrection-centric with the problems and the difficulties in our life. Let me ask you as we close, Is the resurrection the harmonizing factor of your life? It can be. The resurrection changes everything.